Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to be with Loretta who's not feeling well. And, and Lord, we ask that you be with Brian and, and, and touch his body and Phyllis as she's making trips back and forward. I ask you to bless and anoint this time as we study and lead and guide in son, in son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, starting at verse 16, chapter 14. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. He that is soon angry deals foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor is hated, even of his own nature, neighbor, but the rich has many friends. All right, let's look at this. Verse 16, a man, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. And this is a pattern that we've seen over and over and over again. The, the wise person avoids evil. Uh, and basically this says that the, the, the fool rages. He passes over, he charges right at it. And he's confident. He's, and you, we've all heard this. Well, I can, I can handle this. It doesn't have control over me and you watch them fall flat on their face. And uh, this uh, word rage is kind of like, it's, uh, it's a military term, and it literally means to run over the enemy. Uh, it's called an overrun in, in, in military terms, and the cavalry would go charging through the ranks, overrun them, turn around, and come back at them a second time. Tanks do the same thing. They go through the line and turn around and come back on them. And this is what David is picturing. The, the, the foolish just says, I'm just gonna charge through the line, I'm going to go through it, and then I'll be able to turn around. I'm going to be victorious. Nothing, nothing can bring me down. <coughs> uh, and David's saying the, the wise man is afraid of it, and he just doesn't even, you know, he, he is not going to deal with it at all. He just departs from it. He says, okay, you're, the, the trouble's over there, the evil's over there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going 180 degrees the other way from that trouble. Uh, and we've seen it, you know, the, the, the alcoholic who, you know, falls off the wagon. Why? Because they were hanging out with their friends that drank, figured they could hang out with the same people and, and have no effect of hanging out with the, those people or tempting themselves by going to sit in the bar and they're going to they're gonna drink their Coke mm -hmm. at first. Yeah, I did that. You know, at first. <laughs> you know, until everybody says, you know, kind of twist their arm a little bit or, you know, and they kind of miss the, the taste. The next thing you know, they're right back where they are. And so David's saying, you know, the wise person, or excuse me, Solomon in the Psalms is saying the wise person avoids it altogether. Um, and this is, you know, we, you know, over and over in Psalms we're told, flee evil, flee evil. Uh, when we think we're strong, we're going to fall. Uh, and this is a warning that I give people a lot of times: is if there's any area of your life that you think you cannot fall in, beware because your guard will be down in that area and somehow you might find yourself falling in just the, just the area you think you're really strong in. You know, there's no way I'd ever do whatever it might be and then the next thing you know, within a year or two, you might be, that might be one of your worst areas of temptation. I've, I've heard people, you know, I'd never do drugs. You know, and the next thing you know, they're addicted to drugs. Uh, you know, because they let down their guard on it. They think they're strong enough and they feel they can run through it. Uh, he that is soon angry deals foolishly. A man of wicked devices is hated. Uh, and we see this often. Somebody who's, when you're angry, most people when they get angry lose control and they do things that they would never do you know, otherwise. 
they'll get mad and they'll say things to people that is maybe not even be their personality. They just got mad and everything about them changed and they're going up one side of the person down the other and, and ripping them to shreds and saying things to other people and uh, you know, slandering them around town, you know, just making it, you know, because they're angry at that person. Uh, and it says that you know, he's going he's gonna to deal foolish. He's going to work foolish. And a man of wicked devices is hated. And we know what that means. That's a straightforward statement. You know, if you're, if you, we come across somebody who's kind of evil and, and does bad things, you want to avoid them. You don't, you're, they're not a person you're going to want to hang around. Um, so they don't have your best interest at heart. They just have their interest at heart. Yeah. You know, it's not even, and they'll do anything it takes to make them look good. And that is not a good place to be. Uh, and it, you know, we, we see it all the time. There's, we all know people probably that, that, that way. You, know, you don't trust them for anything. You know that they're gonna do what is best for them. And if it's good for you, great. If it's not good for you, great as well. I mean, their, their goal is just to you know, make themselves better off. Um, and it happens a lot of times in business. People will say, well, this is business. Well, God says that we're supposed to be able to be honest and walk in integrity all the time, and that includes in, bus in the business world. And I've, I've always been one that's believed that, you know, the win-win situation is the best for everybody. Everybody needs to win. Uh, and when people compromise, compromise is not a good thing because every, when you compromise, everybody feels like they lost. They might have gotten a little bit, but everybody feels that they lost when they compromise. And compromise never works in the long run because everybody's looking to get the better part of the deal the next time because they all feel I gave too much this time but I got a little bit and then next time they want more out of the deal. Uh, and so we want to be able to walk in integrity and walk in a way that shows that we are looking out for our interest but also the first interest of the others. Uh, back in the days when furniture was built to last you built, a, you built something and you expected it to last your lifetime and your kids and your grandkids' lifetime. And the artisan and craftsman was saying, I'm going to build something that will last because my name is on it. Nowadays, we're building things to fall apart. We look at that like in printers. You know, printers used to be built to last forever. Granted, you spend about five or $600 for them at the time, but they lasted forever. Now you spend a hundred bucks for a printer and you expect to get two years, maybe three out of it. It's built to come apart. Same thing with automobiles. Automobiles used to be something that were built to last. Now they're building them to go for about five or six years and they start coming apart at the seams. Yeah. You know, warranty runs out, material, material breaks down. Uh, same thing with books. I mean, I found that even with books. You know, yeah. books used to be bound and nicely bound, and you could, you could use them, read them, and and they lasted. Nowadays, even if you buy a good book, it doesn't last long. You know, I spend I spend you know hundred dollars for my Bibles, and they last about four years before they fall apart. And I would figure spending that much that they should last. They don't. Because everything now, there's there's not a huge amount of craftsmanship in it. People aren't being using integrity, uh, and it's a sad thing because we're shifting further and further from God's way of doing things. One of the things is just going for siding. It's just like the plug and play stuff. Mm -hmm. You plug and play until it's no good, and then you throw it out and get a new one. 
Mm -hmm. It is a, you hit it right on the head, we're a disposable society, uh, throwaway, which is, we take that too far though, we take it also beyond things into relationships. We basically have a throwaway society of when it comes to relationships. I'm gonna use that person up and when I no longer can get anything from them, I'll go to the next person that I can use up. Uh, because they know when you're being used up, people get tired of it after a while and they're not going to respond and their guard is gonna go up, so you just go to the next person. And we see it even in, in marriages and relationships. It's, you know, because people aren't following biblical principles, it's a disposable. You know, okay, what's next? You know, this person didn't meet all my needs, I need the next person who can meet some of my needs, you know, and see if they can meet my needs. And instead of making a dedication to that individual. And so we are in, we are in a disposable in, uh, world. We're in a, a me first generation. Uh, you see it when driving. You're coming to a place where you're supposed to merge and you know, if each person took one turn and just kind of merged, it would, you would never really slow down that much, but because somebody needs that extra six feet of space, they won't let you in and, and one side has to stop and once you stop, the merge is completely over. And you know, but people are always, what's in it for me? How am I gonna benefit? If I don't benefit, I don't wanna do that and that's not God's way of doing it. His way is basically that we're gonna let others benefit from us. You know, we're gonna do what's good for them. You know, Jesus said that you will serve one another, you will love one another. And that's important for us to be able to understand. When we are, you know, sometimes we start serving people and because it's a me generation, they start overtaking, you know, trying to take too much and drain, you know, and I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with somebody who's draining. You know, every time you go near them, they drain you. They're not, they're, they're not fun to be around because you just, they take every bit of your energy, every bit of your, your emotions and never give anything back. Mark? Well, I was saying personal peace and influence. They take your personal peace and they don't care about the guy across the street or the other country around the world. Mm -hmm. Influence is a me, me, me. I'm going to have them do that. Yeah. Well, you go through the other things too that the people take that they really just think of, of it themselves. Right. Whether it be small or big. Mm -hmm. You can provide it for yourself. You have no, no need to take it from somewhere else. But unfortunately, our world is teaching totally the opposite. It's just take, take, take. Matter of fact, the business world is based upon that. If you go get an education in the colleges on about the business world, you're never supposed to use your own money to invest. You're always supposed to borrow from somebody else to invest. Whether you need it or not, you might be a billion dollar company, but you don't want to use your money to invest. You borrow money from others. They, you know, it's, a, it's taught. It's taught that way in the colleges. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not, you know, and it doesn't really work in the long run. You know, our economy has been based from a cash-based, you know, I've got to have the money to buy things to a completely credit-based society. And we see it in America where the average person has at least $10,000 worth of debt. And most of them don't have enough assets to even cover that much debt. And if we have a house, it's even worse. Uh, and the house is probably the only thing that would be a debt that's worth taking on. And even then, it's not really a good thing yeah. to do. It took 20 years to pay off the house. That place could turn into a slum, that old neighborhood, in 20 years. And that's usually what ends up happening. It takes about a 20, about a 20 to 40 year cycle for a neighborhood to, yes, to yeah. run from a nice neighborhood to a, well, here to a poor one. Well, here's the opposite. Mine went from bad to better. <laughs> it's actually gone up. 
Yeah, well, but we, we, that is the other side of it. Once you, once you hit the bottom, usually people start building, you know, improving, and, and yeah, it's, it's a cycle. Everything is, goes in cycles anyway in this world, whether it's a relationship with an individual, uh, you know, a friendship will go from highs and lows, and a marriage will go from highs to lows. There'll be times when you're very much in emotional love, and then there's times when you look at each other and say, well, you know, who's this person living in my house? And then, we, you know, you give it a couple years, and you're back to the... To the high, it's all. It all goes in cycles. The business world goes in cycles. The, I mean, everything around us is part of a cycle of life, and that's described in the Bible. It, it's told that it's there. I mean, because our focus is not on, should not be, on this world's cycle, but into eternity. And Jesus said, "Where our treasure is, you know, there our heart will be." So we put our treasure into heaven. We put our, we invest our things into eternal rewards. And we get out of the whole cycles. I mean, the, uh, your investment world goes in cycles between high and low in, on your investments. And uh, they say that if you stay long enough, it, it generally the stock markets go, go up over the long haul. And, the, and it is true. The graph goes up. Yeah, that, and a lot of ups and downs in between. That change only for rich people that can afford to influence highs and lows in the stock exchange. Mm. But they, it does generally go up. If you have the money to invest in the long haul in, in a mutual fund or something in general, over a 10-year period of time, it always goes up. Now, the in-between is what scares people, especially, like you say, the poor person who doesn't have a lot of money, and they watch, they watch their $1,000 go way down, if they, and they panic, and they pull it out, and then if they had just left it there another, another couple years, it goes back up, and, and they get their 10% return over 10 years. But it is the world, this is a world system, and at some point, everything about the world is going to crash. We're told that. You know. Now, whether it will be in our time, which I believe it will be or not, is another story, but eventually everything will end. Uh, so, you know, all the rules out there are good for only the period of time that God says they're going to be good for. And we want to avoid all these cycles. We want to, we want to look at the, the eternal. Uh, and as Paul said, he'd learn to be content in much and in little. And we need to learn to be content, not in this world's goods, but in eternal. And then watch what God does for us. And it's amazing when you do. Even, even when you have little, God meets the needs. And then eventually he'll say, okay, now you can have much because you showed yourself worthy in a little. And, and we can have much until we show ourselves unworthy. And, and Or he just wants to make us depend more on him because usually what ends up happening is when we have much we stop depending on God doesn't mean that we lose our salvation doesn't mean that we stop going to church or even reading our Bible or anything but when you have nothing everything is dependent upon God God I don't know where the rent's coming from I don't know where the utility bills are coming from I don't know where the gas money's coming from and we're praying all the time and then when we get much it's like we stop getting to the place where we just expected and we stop being thankful for God for the much. And I think at that point, God says, okay, let me take it away from you for a while and get you back to where you're dependent upon me. Yeah. And I think we could stay at much if we could stay, say, thank you, God. You know, thank you for these blessings. But we get to the place where, and we do it, it's human nature. We get to the place where, God, I'm being blessed. And, you know, God, I'm being blessed. I'm happy I'm being blessed. And then all of a sudden, I, I slip into... God, thank you for it of, well, this is the way it should be. 
Now, I may not really think and say it that way, but I get to the place where this is my expectation. Uh, this is my expectation that I'm blessed. And we forget that it's God's blessing that put us there. Um, yeah, to go with that idea, um, like I've been really thinking about how that works, actually, because a lot of it has been going really good in my life. And I'm extremely thankful to God for it and everybody that's been there for me with it. And, you know, and instead of saying, you know, because my dad gave me the lottery and stuff, and he's been wanting to do some stuff with it once I start working and things like that. You know, and I'm just like, I'm just like, thank you, God, for letting this happen and this time, and please just let's keep going the right way and let him not run off the house and keep it empty and just let me be thankful for the start I do have in it instead of saying, well, next week God, make sure that this happens with this so I can get this done, you know, because that's not, I don't want to do that, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Even though I want to get things done, but I know that's not proper because I've already went through that before and asked that of God, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, and it's important to stay thankful. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've said it many times over the last two years at the church is we get to the place where we take for granted our blessings, and at that point, God is very likely to take the blessings away from us to show us, uh, remember who's giving you these things. And whenever we forget that it's him giving them to us and somehow we deserve it, now, God, thank you, I deserve this. You know, then he's going to say, okay, let me show you how much, what you do deserve. Mm -hmm. Because we don't deserve anything. It's only by God's grace that we ever have anything. And so we need to keep that in mind and be able to go forward. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. You know, we've discussed simple before. Simple are those who aren't, aren't fearing God or are living in this world. And, and it says the simple inherit folly. Why? Because they do dumb things. <laughs> Plain and simple, they do dumb things and they, they get rewarded with what they, you know, what they have sown out there. Uh, the prudent are crowned with knowledge. You know, the prudent, those who are understanding and discerning, and they get a crown, which is a reward, and it is knowledge. The whole idea of knowledge and skill, understanding, you know, learning to discern things and, and studying God's word, getting wisdom and knowledge out of it. And hopefully you notice is the more you listen to God, the more the more discerning you get, the, the he gives you more and more knowledge. You get into his word, you gain knowledge. And then we learn wisdom. We learn to apply the knowledge. Uh, many of us have probably met people that are very smart. They know everything about a topic, but they're about as dumb as a rock. You know, to actually doing anything. Uh, you know, you because you, you can know a lot. I I know a lot about cars and and systems and cars, but I cannot repair the cars very well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll get the job done in about a week. <laughs> you know, and the mechanic goes in there and he just tinkers around for an hour or so, and and it's working. Why? Because he actually has had wisdom. He's had training. He's got understanding. I understand how it works but it takes me forever to find each individual individual piece of it. And I've done just about everything there is to do in a car. Well, that's the difference between textbooks and hands-on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we have that in the laser's thing, too, because we'll get kids right out of the, the union. It's all school-based, and none of them have been on a job site. We change them on a job site. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's a practical side. There's little tricks people learn that aren't taught in the schools. Or the ones in a controlled environment that make it easy to install. But when you're 100 stories up on the <coughs> side of a building, it's no longer a walk in the park. And the wind's blowing. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is part of what it is. You know, the prudent, those of who have discerning, they see... Uh, when I was managing, uh, I would it would be so interesting because I trained managers, and at some point you had to let the manager actually run the shift. You know, and they, the first times I would have them run it is when I was there, and I would see a problem from miles away, and I'm going, okay, what is it? Is this person going to see it? You know, like, and I'd have to see how are they going to handle it when they did did fall into it, and in the meantime, I'm looking. You know, how far do I want to let them mess up? Uh, because you would see it, and so in my back of my mind, I'm putting all these plans together. Okay, this is how far I'm going to let them go, and this is what I'm going to do to solve the problems once, once they get there, if they fall apart. But you also had to give them long enough to recover and show you what they could do. You know, all about learning to discern, not just knowing things. And, you know, this is why it's the prudent are crowned with knowledge because it's going to be a practical knowledge that they get. Verse 19, the evil bow before the good and, and the wicked are at the gates of the righteous. This verse just literally means that eventually the, the evil get their, get their reward. They are not going to be left in leadership. They're not going to be, be they're not going to continue to rule and be in, gates, you know, be in, the, in the places of rule. And we've all been places, we've seen the people that are you know, wicked and evil get promoted, and uh, if you stay long enough around, you also stay long enough to watch them come crashing back down because there's the. Sorry, I'm like. <laughs> well, you told me you probably wouldn't be here at all, so. Yeah, but I didn't want it. So. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. Yep. But the evil will always end up looking to the good. Good always wins out in the long run. Uh, and this is Psalms and Proverbs are all about how good wins out in the long run. It may not look, and David had many times in the, in the Psalms would say, you know, hey, God, well, what's going on here? You know, this, this is, you know, the, the, wicked, the wicked are getting good, and they're being blessed, and I'm, and I'm suffering. Uh, and we've all been there where we're looking around and saying, you know, God, you know, what, you know, I'm trying to do things right, and I am being beat up and, and put down, and all these people that are cheating people seem are, are winning. And we're not even going to put the seem to in there in, in at the time. Usually, uh, we're going to go. They're winning, God. You know, they're getting promoted. They're, you know, they're stealing the, the everybody else's work and taking credit for it, and they're getting promoted, God. I'm doing the work and not being recognized. And God says, just wait. Just wait, good wins. And we've talked about this. If you ever read a book or watch a movie where good doesn't win, there's something unsatisfying about that book because inherently we know that good has to win. And if good doesn't win in a story or in a book, we know that there's something wrong with the story. Uh, and I've seen movies like that. Movies are probably the worst culprits of it. Uh, because they they try to they want to influ you know they want to influence the society, and every once in a while you'll see a movie where the bad guy supposedly wins at the end of the of the movie, and it's like, 
and you and you end up walking away saying it might have even been a good movie, you know, kind of. But you go, wait, something was wrong. And you may not even know what it was, but something was wrong with that movie. You know, it just didn't feel right in that movie. And if you think about it long enough, you'll realize good did not win, and therefore the story was not completed. Uh, and it's very important. We inherently know that good wins. Now, we don't practice it all the time, and we don't, we don't see it, you know, in every aspect of our day unless we look at it over the long long view and I and over the years of working with corporations I've seen a lot of the people that were very evil not practicing integrity get promoted and in most of those cases I stayed around long enough to watch them come crashing back down and losing their job because the when they get raised when they raise up by stealing everybody's material they can't trust anybody below them and eventually their bosses don't trust them and they don't trust their bosses because they expect their bosses to be stealing their material because they're a thief and they end up failing in the long run. Uh, and it's very important. Integrity, honesty, good works always win out in the, in the long run. If nothing else will win out when we end up in heaven and God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And for all of us, hopefully that is what we're looking to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because I know that's what I'm looking forward to, wanting to hear. Well done, enter into, my, enter into the glory. Verse 20, the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich have many friends. And this is a very harsh thing because the poor, it says literally the poor is, there is an aversion of his own neighbor toward the poor. And if anybody's ever had somebody really poor, and, and, and this is impoverished, it's not, it's not even, we're supposed to care for the poor, but there's a certain place where the poor are, you know, aren't even trying to get out of their, out of their, out of, out of it. They're just like, you know, you know, give me everything I need. You know, and, and, and churches and benevolence groups and various people, you know, and even our government. You know, our government got into it with, you know, taking care of the poor with their eyes closed. And if you take too much care of the poor, there's this idea of, you know, give me everything I need. You have it, I want it. Uh, you know, God made provisions for the poor in, the, in, the, in Israel. They go, okay, when you harvest your fields, don't harvest the corner of your field and don't go back over and pull everything off the field and let the poor go in and, and basically earn their keep. They had to get off their butts out of their house, <laughs> go to the field, bend down and, and harvest. You know, they worked. And... And it, it's not so much of a problem. You're not going to worry about the poor who are trying to do something. Uh, Ruth and Naomi and it was a very good example. Ruth went out and worked hard, and she got a good reputation. Even though they didn't have anything, she had a reputation of somebody who was going out, was honorable, had integrity. Uh, and we've all met people that just seem to be saying, you know, what can I get from the system? Whatever that system might be, it, they got their hands out and saying, "Give me," and our and our government is real good about building basically slaves. The government is trying to enslave people by buying them, you know, with money, and that's disabilities, uh, the the poor, the poor, the all the stuff that they give us and make the people dependent upon them. They're enslaving the population. And they're enslaving more than that. There, there's corporations that are enslaved to them because they're taking corporate, you know, money 
to, you know, a lot of the farmers take money not to produce food so that the prices won't go down. You know, and so, you know, there's all of this enslaving that's going on, and Satan is behind it all. He is trying to enslave people. And it's, and it's very important for us. You know, it says the rich have many, have many friends. And this is, you know, we all know that, you know, if you rich people have a problem in trying to figure out if they have friends because they never trust that they're, that they're being a friend or do they just want something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody, met anybody who is truly rich, but, you know, they either try to hide it so people don't do, don't do this to them or they have no trust of people. You know, it's like, how long are you going to be my friend? If I ran out of money tomorrow, would you still be my friend? Would you want my friendship? And they're always worried about that being the case. Well, um, they're leery and they ask questions mm -hmm. to, to see on their integrity as a person yeah. before they allow them in their world. Because they're very worried. And, and, and we see it you know, in the testimonies of people who win the lotteries. Because all of a sudden, they get friends out of the woodwork and family out of the woodwork that they've never known or, or knew, all with their hand out. And because they don't really know how to handle the money, they get themselves in trouble passing it out, and then the next thing they know, they don't have anything. And you know, um, almost everybody who's won the lottery says it's ruined their life and they don't want to have anything. They wish that it had never happened you know, because they don't. You know, number one, most of them don't have any discernment. We see it also with athletes. You know, a lot of the athletes that come out of the inner city, you know, they get their big contracts, and the next thing you know, they end their seat. You know, they, they get to the end of their contracts and end of their career, and they have nothing because all of their friends from the inner city had their hands out, you know, sucking them dry. <laughs> uh, and they had good intentions. They wanted to help their friends. And then their friends don't have anything. They don't have anything. Their friends don't have anything, because they did not know how to handle how to handle it. Or the most important word that anybody can learn to use is no. You know, kids learn it real fast. You know, learn the word no, and then they forget it, because most adults don't really know how to say no. And I've seen it many times in churches. People are asked to do something. And that's why I don't ask a lot of people to do things because I don't want them doing something just because I asked them to. I want them to really be led by God to do it. Because there are so many people that can't say no. You know, would, can you do this? Uh, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, and, and what they really want to say is, no, I don't want to do it. But they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. They don't want to make somebody think that they're, you know. Huh? Yeah, and for me, I, I would, and I've told people, the word no is important in the spiritual world because you can be overloaded. And I did it when I was younger. I tried to do everything, and I finally started realizing, uh, you know, not everything is for me to try to fill. And it's very important when you get to that point. What is, you, what is God calling you to do? Because some people, and especially early on in church, they try to do so much, they get burnt out, and then they never do anything in the church from that point forward, because they did. Well, I got burnt out once. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do it again. Instead of finding the one or two things that God wants them to do, and doing those with all their heart, and if you're doing what God wants you to do, you're not going to burn out because He's going to give you the power to do it. Now, sometimes that may mean you have to experiment with a few things and say, well, uh, well, I thought I might like to do this, but no, this is not. <laughs> this is not for me, and that's good. Uh, 
you know, it is good to experiment with it and say, God, what is it you want me to do? And, and do different things. Uh, because there's lots that need to be done in the church. We, you know, we need people to minister to, to adults. We need people to minister to children. We need people who just want to be laborers and hard workers. Uh, we need people that want to be prayer warriors. There's all kinds of different things that need to be done in a church. And not everybody is going to be important in, in one of each one of those. Did your thumb stop working again? No, I was oh. just thinking about a saying my grand, my mom said, it's harder to save than to spend. She was talking about reputation of mm -hmm. being a good worker. It's harder to save than to spend. Anyone can spend, and you can no say no. It's not what you spend, it's what you save that counts. My mom used to drill that in mm -hmm. all the time. To save, it's not what you spend, it's what you save. Anybody can spend money. I'd actually change that just a touch to be instead of what if you save that counts to what you invest that counts and how you invest it. Uh, because you can save I'm a saver. It doesn't. I'm not a real spend person. My daughter's even worse than I am. She doesn't. You have to about break her arm to get to get her to spend anything. And when she says she's broke, I'm going, "Are you truly broke, or you just don't want to spend your money?" Uh, exactly. So, uh, but you know, we want to invest. We want to invest in the kingdom. We want to invest into what God wants us to invest in because that's what ultimately counts. Christian within God and learning my relationship with him and learning my relationship and my boundaries with him and his son and learning it with people, you know. That's one of my things that I'm trying to go slow at because, like, I want to be a blessing to the church. Mm -hmm. Also, this is Hannah and I community service to do. So, you know, right now my blessing is, like, being a small-time laborer right now because I just do my community service and things like that. And then my thing, too, is not getting caught up in all my personal affairs to where, you know, I slack on that and don't do things that I need to do, you know, just in my personal life. But, you know, I know with, with the right understanding and the proper support, which I do have, like, that's not going to happen. And so I'm just trying to keep my mind focused on that thought. And support system is really important for us as Christians, and that's one of the reasons it's so important to be with God's people, because that is a support system to say and help you stay on the on the right path. Because uh, the world has got a support system too, but it's not a support system we want. Uh, they'll lead us down the wrong paths, and they they want they want the idea of misery loves company. They you know they're not very happy, so they're going to try to get as many people on that same path. And hopefully, if we get enough miserable people, somehow we'll be happy. And I don't understand that mentality, but I know that happens all the time. Uh, I'm not happy, so I'm going to make sure everybody else is unhappy. Uh, in the workplace, I used to have people that I really dreaded seeing them come in because the whole day would have been going good. And as soon as they step through the door, they stir up trouble because they just, for some reason, they didn't like happy, easy, quiet times. They had to have conflict going on around them. And we've all met people like that. That you know, they come in, they come in, and there's, you know, it was a nice day. Everybody's having a good time, and they come in, and conflict is just stirred up. Uh, excited misery. Excited misery. I've heard that term. Like that yeah. 
and and I don't understand why they do it. I mean, why they why they have to be that way? But that's the way they are. Without God changing them, that's the way they'll be. Um, but you know, the peacefulness that comes from God, just being able to abide by peace in peace. All right, we'll read a couple more verses here since we reached the end of the word we read. He that despises neighbor sins, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. They do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tends to penury. The name, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of the fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. He despises neighbor's sins, but he that has mercy on the poor, blessed is he. Uh, and this is this is our Christian duty with our neighbors is to care for them. Doesn't mean every meet every one of their needs and and enable them to continue living in a in a wrong way. But you know we're not to sit there and say, well, no, I'm not going to help you. You know, you're, uh, you know, if they're trying to help themselves, we want to be able to help them. We want to be able to encourage them. Uh, we don't want to enable them with bad habits. Uh, when I was working at College Park as a deacon in charge of the benevolence department, uh, it was a very hard choice. You know, everybody had needs. You know, they, they haven't been able to pay their electric bill. Okay, why weren't you able to pay your electric bill? Well, I didn't have enough money. Why didn't you have enough money? Did you lose your job? How did how have you been paying for it? You know, what what happened that you you know, we asked very pointed questions on why did this happen and how is it not going to happen in the future? Because the last thing you want to do is pay their electric bill this month and have them lose it the next month. Because that meant you just you threw away money that really didn't help them because they still lost their electric. Uh, and so it's very important. You know, We're not to despise our, our neighbors, but, but we also may not be able to reach every one of their needs. Uh, we want to help them when we can and help them when it is truly help. Uh, you know, to get somebody who's, you know, drinking up uh, $75, $100 a month of, in alcohol and, and say, well, we're going to give you, or we're going to pay your $100 bill. Well, no, that's, you know, they blew $100. You know, are they, are they quitting? Are they, are they really quit? You know, maybe. But, you know, but we, you know you're not going to sit there and help them just because they wasted that kind of money. Where you get somebody coming up and saying, well, I need help because I, I didn't have work for, for the last two weeks. And they've got three cars and a motorcycle and an ATV and a, you know, a hot tub. And you're going, well, why don't you just sell some of your stuff? Yeah, downsize. Yeah. You know, down, yeah, downsize yourself a little bit. You know, you've got, you've got, you've got $500 or $1,000 there. Just sell a couple things. You don't need help from somebody else. Uh, you know. And this is what, you know, we want to have mercy on the poor. Somebody who's truly poor, we want to be able to help. Uh, there was a family in College Park that we knew they needed help. I was going to say, normally when people actually do need help and they really do need it, you get to show it. Mm -hmm. You can see it on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they do everything they can to hide the fact yeah. that they need the help. Most people who need it don't really want to ask for it. No. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but this one family, we knew they needed help, but they, they also didn't want to let anybody know enough information to help them. Uh, because we weren't just going to throw money at them and then find out that they did have places where they wasted money. 
but we knew that they needed more than they were bringing in, but we didn't know, they weren't willing to sit down and say, this is what, where we're at, this is what we're making, this, these are our bills. Because we know that they fed all the cats in the neighborhood, which meant you know, that they were spending lots of money just on cat food, and you know, we weren't gonna support that. Uh, so you know, it was just little things, you know, and this is why it's important to be, if you're in true need, you, you, you get the help that you need. Uh, or you get more work or whatever it takes. Uh, I have had sometimes had as many as five, you know, four or five jobs because I needed to take and support my family. Uh, and very rarely did I have to do that, but every once in a while I took extra jobs because of different bills that came up. Uh, but we want to, you know, and if we're helping the poor, it says, blessed is that person. Blessed. Because you're taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. And God gives great blessing on that. And that's where he takes blessing on us because technically we pretty much can't take care of ourselves. God steps in and he helps us take care of, of ourselves. Uh, they, uh, do they err that devise evil? And the answer to that one is a rhetorical question is yes. <laughs> they err by devising evil. Uh, and God is, you know, God is saying, you know, that He really, they will reap what they sow, and this is important for us to understand. We all reap what we sow, whether it's good or bad. We reap what we sow, and and when you when you think about reaping and sowing, uh, if anybody's ever planted a garden, whether it be flowers or or fruit or vegetables, you plant a seed. You do not expect to get one fruit from that seed, do you? You know, if you plant a cucumber vine, you're not looking to get one cucumber back. Well, most plants just don't give you one. That's exactly it. You know, that's exactly it. And that's, that's the idea of reaping and sowing. When we reap something, we will not reap back one for one. We reap back more than we sow. And that is whether it's good or bad. And we've all probably been in both sides of that case, both sides of when we do bad things, like the snowball effect of things that come back at us. Uh, drunk and then you end up getting a ticket for drunk driving. You spent all your money that was supposed to go for someplace else. You probably said something wrong to somebody in the process. You ended up doing things that you had, you know, you, you know just all these things that pile up from one bad decision. And we've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. We make a bad decision and then we watch the repercussions just aren't one repercussion, it's multiple. And the same thing when we start sowing good. We start seeing multiple returns from that good. Uh, and so this is it. It says, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Mercy and truth. And mercy we've talked about many times. That's, that's not getting what we deserve. And then truth. God gives us the truth about things. And it, is it, have you ever been in a place where you've actually seen where something is going? Where the scenario actually pulled out before it happened? Even before it happens, you kind of say, if I did this, this is going to happen. You just know that it would. Or if you're, you know, it's kind of like the idea what they say about a magician when you see through what they're doing. Uh, it takes away from the act, of, you know, completely, but, you know, you know exactly what they're doing, how it's done, and you're going, oh, okay, yeah, it's that simple. Uh, and 
I've done a little bit of, you know, I've not studied magic a lot, but I've studied enough of it that I know how a lot of the tricks are done and can actually perform some of the, the minor tricks, you know, and it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to look at that and say, oh, oh well, I know, how they, I know how they made that card stand up out of a deck. You know, it was not that hard. Uh, or I know how they did this, I know how they did that. And it really, you lose the respect of the, of the trick because you know the, the secret behind it. Um, that's what God does for us with the truth. He shows us the truth of the situation even before we walk into it. You know, Satan is always sitting there lying to us and giving us a bunch of lies. And our goal is to be able to speak truth to him. We do the who we are in Christ class for just that reason. So that when Satan comes and lies to us about who we are, we can say, no, no, this is who God says I am. This is the truth. When he says we're worthless, we say, no, God spent his life to buy us. That, that means that we're not worthless. Uh, we have great worth in the great eyes of God. You know, we, he's washed us. He's regenerated us. He's redeemed us. He's, he's sanctifying us. You know, and we'd be able to speak truth back to Satan. He's lying to us all the time. He is the, he is the liar. He is the father of lies. And he doesn't tell the truth. And so we need to be able to respond back. Here is God's word. Here is God's truth. And even though truth can hurt sometimes, Truth is, as long as it's in love, truth is always better. Now, even even truth not in love, you know, is it hurts. You know, it's like a dagger being stuck in and twisted. But we kind of know that it it was true, even though it may the way it was used may not be what we want and may not make us you know make us very happy that that person told us. But the words still carry weight. But it still carries weight. It's still we know it's true. You know, the action or the words are, are true. Granted, it's supposed to be handled with love. It should be used more like a surgeon using a scalpel for healing, not for ripping, ripping to shreds. But it, you know, truth and, and truth can be used both ways. You know, I, you know, and every once in a while you hear some. Well, I was just being truthful. Yeah, and you were being obnoxiously, you know, bitter and, and hurtful to the person too. You know, and there's a way that we use truth gently and, and correctly to, to cut out the, the sin or we go in there and we mutilate somebody with truth. Both are true, both are, both are real, and you know, in the long run we may still, even though we were mutilated by the truth, benefit from it, but there's scars that, were, that shouldn't have been put there. Um, and you know, I've known people who are, you know, with their tongues can make people feel about two inches tall. You know, no, no physical abuse at all, but man, you just, you know, you didn't want to be around them because, and the most of the time, and many times, they're speaking truth. They're just using it as a weapon rather than a healing tool. And, you know, we want to be careful of that. All right. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury, which means lack or want. Uh, and this is true, you know. We've all met people who talk a good game. Uh, a lot of a lot of TV shows are based on the guy who's trying to cheat somebody, you know, not physically, but cheat them out of their money by talking up a good, you know, you know. Sometimes they're called good salesmen. Uh, again, that goes back to what we said. You know, business is supposed to be 
good for you. It's supposed to be honest and integrity. And there's some people who think that, you know, a good salesman will say anything he has to say to get a deal done. Promise anything. Uh, we see it in military recruiters a lot of times. They'll promise anything, and they and they, number one, they can't deliver most of what they promise. Uh, sometimes you'll see it in the car sales selling selling world. Well, you know, we'll buy this car and we'll give you a free oil change and wash your car whenever you come. You know, they'll do all these different things to make it sound like you're getting this great deal, but the car's a piece of junk, and and they know it sometimes. Uh, but it's just anything to do to get you to buy. You know, lips, lips moving. Uh, you know, but it says that, that, in, that all labor, in all labor, there is profit. There is something of profit when we work. Uh, and are there people out there that will cheat you out of your, pro, you know, out of your labor? Yes. But there's still, even in that, even just by working, there's profit. There's self-respect that you gain. There's exercise that you gain by work. There's, you know, there's self-esteem. Uh, by work. So there's profit, even if they're cheating you out of the pay for the profit, there's still profit in actually getting up and working. And you can see it. Uh, when somebody doesn't work, you can watch them actually go downhill emotionally and, and, some, and then to a point physically if they won't ever get up. They decay. They decay. They just they get lazy. And the more you get lazy, you know, the more you get lazy, the lazier you get. And it basically is that the, the proof of, you know, as you stop working, you, you just start setting down and you just start getting to the place where you just don't move. And it's hard to get started again. And then the more you're moving, the more active you are, the easier it is to stay active, the easier it is to, to go forward. When you start exercising, the hardest time to exercise is, those, is that first month or two where you're trying to build that habit of, of exercising and you're and you, at, you, you go out and you exercise, and the next day you're so sore, you say, there's no way I'm going to exercise, and the next day you're still sore, and you know, three days later you're still sore, and you go, well, maybe I don't want to exercise anymore because I don't want to feel sore. And yet if you go back out, eventually you get to the place where you're no longer feeling sore, you're, you're just feeling good about having exercised. You gotta walk it off. Walk it off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, walk, walk it off, you know, get, get back out there. But in one sense, it is true, though, and I've, and I've done that many times. When you're sore after the exercise, sometimes the best thing to do is go back out and exercise again and get everything moving again, and you don't feel as sore the next day. Uh, you know, hard work has its rewards. And if you're working for yourself, you really have the reward because it, it's all, you're in, you're, you're in control of it. Uh, and, you know, and if all you're going to do is talk, I'm going to talk about exercise. I'm going to talk about working. I, you know, it's not going to do me a bit of good in the long run. It's just going to lead to want and lack. You know, I, and I've met many people. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to get out and look for a job tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got work for tomorrow. When, you know, but when he gets there, there's no work. You know, it's, uh, and so we want to be careful. God says you know, we were created to work. Okay? Work is not the curse that came from sin. Adam and Eve were created, and God planted a garden, and he put Adam and Eve in it to tend the garden. That was their work. And again, I've said many times, I don't know how hard a work was on a perfect garden where nothing died. I don't know what kind of work was meant in that garden. Uh, you know, hey, there's a piece of fruit I want. I'll take that piece of fruit. I'm tending the garden. You know, uh, I don't know what was involved, but there, it was work. 
Uh, and it is indications in the scripture that when we get to heaven, there's going to be work in heaven. No retirement. No retirement. But it'll be work that you enjoy. The, and the key to this is if you've ever been in a place where you're doing something you really enjoy, you can do it 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and you never feel like you are working because it is just the job that you want. I love to do administrative stuff. I love to be the one that kind of says, have you thought about this? Have you done that? To me, when I do administrative stuff, that is not work. When I am teaching, it is not work to me. I love every bit of teaching. I love the study that goes behind the, behind it. Uh, you know, getting in and tearing things apart, mostly for myself because you all don't get everything I learn. You know, if we did, we would never get past one verse in each in each uh, in each week. You know, because I could give you all the stuff that I go as I tear things apart and 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 go to other places and you know a lot of it is for me, but it was I find it to be fun, and I love to teach. And I don't mind teaching. Now, I know many, even pastors, who teaching isn't their favorite part of the job of being a pastor. They like dealing with the people and going out and doing the visits and the hospital visits and the jail visits. Now, for me, those are the parts that I do because it is part of a pastor's job, but I love the teaching side of it. And the teacher in College Park was that way. You know, he loved the ministering to people more than he liked the teaching. He's a good teacher. Don't get me wrong. He's a good teacher. But he loves the dealing with the people. I love the teaching more, and the people are part that, that I've God had to teach me to be able to do. You know, so each of us will do what God has gifted us to do. And when we're in heaven, he's going to give us the job, and basically that is when, you know, when you're doing what you want to do, that is when God says the sixth day of rest is important, because otherwise you just want to work because you're enjoying what you're doing, and God's saying, no, even though you enjoy it, <laughs> You need to rest. And that is when it, you know, when you don't really like your job, you're looking forward to all the days of rest you can get. You want those holidays. You want, you want as many days of rest as you can because you don't like your job. But when you really love your job, that is when you really have to go in and say, God said to rest. I need to rest. But even when you like your job, you still want to get off. Sometimes. I, I really do enjoy construction and building skyscrapers. But see, that's excessively physical work, so you need the rest in that kind of work, you know. So there's a lot of managerial and administrative jobs where it is not that big, a, it is not that stressful physically. And if you're really into those, you need to be forced to take time off. Uh, and a lot of administrators look at it this way. If I take a day off, it's, I got more work to do when I come back because I got to catch up for the day I took off or, or when they take vacation. I hated taking vacation as manager because I came into such a big mess you know, that I had to catch up all the work for a week. So it was better, you know, because I worked so hard that week that I came back, it was almost better not to take a, a week off. Rang about five acres in Golden Valley. Fixed it all up, had it all built and furnished and everything. Went on vacation for a week, came back, the place was stripped. Hmm. We went out on the porch, she was there.
But with that attitude, though, you also have to be careful of because if our attitude is so much that God can't take care of whatever it is we're supposed to have, then then you're going to lead to just following the world. Yeah. 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 Maybe, depending on where he was. Yeah, right. Uh, but it is very important for us, you know, because that brings out a point, you know, that is are things so important to us that our world ends when they're gone? And yes, in this world, we don't want to take foolish chances, but you know, people laugh at me because I still lock my cars in Kingman and Chloride, you know, but it's a habit. They're, they're important to me, you know, and it's locks, locks don't, habit. yeah, locks don't stop crooks. They just keep honest people honest. Yeah. Uh, but though even with crooks, when it comes to a car or a house, uh, if they have to unlock it or find a way to break in, they usually will try to find an easier target. It's professional. You know, but if they're really good at it, a lock's not going to stop anybody. And when I was younger, I learned how to I, I learned how to pop almost just about any lock. We I could get into any lock. car. Uh, I could open lock. doors. They came with a torch and cut the hasp. Yeah. They just went in a second. Well, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of things, but but locks do keep honest people honest. Yeah. Uh, and procedures that you know protect you or will keep honest people honest. There's, my daughter was telling me just the other day about some so a way one of her managers was stealing from her company, and she caught over, caught her and had to fire her. And she figures that she lost a thousand dollars a day for the two days this person went before she caught this person. Um, and and she, you know my daughter's real good. My daughter's real good at catching thieves. I don't know why she's as good as it is she is as young as she is, but she's good at catching thieves. So you can't go on so vacation without worried about your stuff. But uh, verse 24, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of the fools is folly. And, you know, and this is true. When, when somebody is wise, they make good decisions, they're going to get rewarded. You know, can they be deceived and tricked? Yes. But in general, they make good decisions and they get the rewards of those decisions. And then it says the, the folly... The foolishness of the fools is, is folly. And we've all either been there ourselves or seen, seen people who just, they seem to make bad decisions all the time because they're not being wise. They're not being, they're, you know, the people who have this idea of get rich quick. Yeah. Number one, the, the quicker you get rich, the quicker you lose it. And it's been, been shown every single time uh, because e e either you've cheated somebody for it and they're going to get back at you and or somebody else because you've, you've sown this, the wrong seeds will get back at you so you lose it. Or you win it through gambling and you don't know how to handle it and you lose it and you lose it instantly and that's how the, the people with the lotteries and everything end up, you know, they, they get their millions and the next thing you know they're broke and worse off than they were before because they over, you know, they buy a house they can't afford to buy, to pay for and uh, give away all their money and, and just handle it why it, uh, foolishly and then they're out of and then they don't have anything uh, you know so all of these things when you do things foolishly you reap the rewards somebody who has a very nice car and never maintains it never changes the oil never checks the fluid levels you know or takes it to somebody to do it you know uh, tries to drive but never changes their tires or rotates their tires you know and try to put uh, 150,000 miles on their 6,000 mile tires and the next thing you know, they got no tires on their car because they don't last, you know, and, or 
you know, when I was younger, I was one of those people. I didn't really change my oil as often as I should. And my cars kept dying after 20, 30,000 miles. I, I'd change the oil every eight, 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 10,000 miles. But, you know, cars need to have their oil change regularly. And if you change your oil regularly, that one thing usually keeps your engine running for a long time. I was going to say, I sold a car that had 600,000 original, 600, original miles. As long as you main, you do your, your your basic maintenance on it, these things will last, and that's part of being wise, you know, doing the wise things. Verse twenty five: A true witness delivereth or rescues souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies, and that's pretty much quite straightforward. You know, deceitful witness lies. You know, we all know people who seem to lie about everything, anything, everything. The old joke, you know, how does so, and, you know, how does this group or such and such group, you know, how do you know that they're lying? Their lips are moving, you know. We all have known probably somebody that is very much that way, you know. If their lips are moving, we go, oh, they're lying again. Uh, you know, and and yet we want to look. The true witness delivers or rescues souls. Our first and foremost witness, of course, is the gospel, eternal. But by the same token, when we know the truth, we need to speak forth. We need to, to, to uh, stand up for people and speak the truth. Because we want to rescue people, not just in the spiritual sense, but in the day-to-day -day operations. When somebody is trying to cheat somebody and you see through it, you need to speak up and, and let them know. You need to be able to deliver that person from the hardships that are, are headed their way. Because anything can happen from that point. And we want to be able to speak truth. We want to be known as people that speak the truth. You know, when you when you speak, you don't want people to look at it and say, "Well, can I trust the person this time?" No, we want to be the. We speak so much truth that if we were to not speak the truth, they'd be shocked. You know, which is against the flesh. It's against the human nature to speak the truth. Um, you know, the first thing that people want to do when they're when they're when they speak the truth, they might get into trouble. Is they want to lie. You know. And other times, people want to make themselves look better. I think that was the hardest thing I ever had to deal with in the, in the, with my managers is they would almost tell me the truth, but they always made themselves look like they had no part in the problem. And I'm going, you know, okay, now I know that that's not true. And very, very rare is somebody not part of the problem. And there's an old there's an adage that's taught about pastors. It's pastors that go around from church to church to church to church having the same problems at every church they go and they blame their congregations. Mm -hmm. And it's like the pastor's thing going, well, at that point you need to start looking at yourself. If you're having the same problem everywhere you go, it's not the people that are the problem. It's not your crew at a workplace. It's not the congregation. It's not, it's not your family. <laughs> you're the problem and you need to look at yourself. And it's, and well, the biggest thing is if we're gonna really look at truth, we really do need to look at, am I the problem when something goes wrong? Look, take a look at ourselves real hard to say, am I the problem or am I contributing to the problem? Is it the way I react to things? And very much we want to look at what is going on, why is it going on, and go forward from there. And we are out of time, so we're going to stop at verse 25.